Hi everybody, I'm Øystein Karl Leclerc, CEO of Flex LNG, and today we are presenting our second quarter numbers. I will be joined today by our CFO Knut Tråholt, who will walk you through the uh, financials a bit later in the presentation. Uh, before we begin, I would just uh, also mention we do have our Q&A session at the end of the presentation where you can send in your questions either using the chat function or sending an email to ir at flexlng.com. And if you have the best question for today, we do have some gifts for you. So gift number one is a Flex LNG boiler suit. We just completed the docking of uh, four of our ships. Uh, so, and you know, these are very nice when you do some improvements or maintenance, so you can have it uh, while doing some home improvements. We also have uh, the new just flex it running t-shirt which we will be use, using in Oslo Marathon uh, next month and lastly we have a new edition of our flex LNG sunglasses so I hope you do send in some good questions it's always the most fun part of of these presentations so um, before I begin I will also highlight our disclaimer we will be providing some forward-looking statement in this presentation we will be using some non-gap measures as TC and adjusted numbers. And of course, we cannot cover everything in detail during this short presentation. So we would also like you to uh, highlight the fact you can read our earnings release, which we also presented today. So let's kick off with the highlights. So uh, let's begin with the highlight. Revenues for the quarter came in at 86.7 million in line with our guidance of 85 to 90 million. This resulted in strong earnings, 39 million, uh, translating into 73 cents per share. Adjusted net income, where we only include the realized gains on our derivatives, not the unrealized gains, came in at 28.2 million or 53 cents per share. During the quarter, we carried out dry docking of three ships, according to time and budget, and that means we have completed the, the dry docking schedule for the year with four ships being dry docked in the first half of the year. These three dry dockings in the second quarter was the, then the, the main reason why we have lower revenues in Q2 compared to Q1. Uh, but with all ships back in operation from uh, the second half of the year, we are reaffirming our revenue guidance of 90 to 95 million in the third quarter and somewhat higher expectation in Q4, 90 to 100 million, depending a bit on how strong the spot market will be for the ship we have on variable higher time charter. So with that, we are reaffirming also the revenue guidance for the year, 370 million and adjusted the EBITDA of somewhere between 290 to 295 million. Uh, we are also today pleased to announce that Chenier has, as expected, extended the Flex Vigilant time charter from end of uh, 2030 into middle of 2031. As some of you might recall, we did the extension of three ships with Chenier last year where they had this early option to extend that ship by 200 days and then get our option to extend her a further two years. So in total today we have 55 years of minimum firm backlog which can be extended up to eight years if charters are utilizing all their extension options. So with uh, a very healthy backlog 
a strong financial position with 450 million of cash and no debt maturities prior uh, 2028 after all the refinancing we just carried out. We uh, uh, therefore should come as no surprise that uh, the, the board is declaring uh, a dividend of 75 cents per share for the second quarter. This brings the dividend the last 12 months to $3.25 per share or an yield of about 10%. So, uh, as I mentioned, we've been busy doing the ride dockings uh, this year. We docked Flex Endeavor in March, Singapore. We did our sister ship, Flex Enterprise, in Singapore in April. And then we had two ships, uh, the sister ships Ranger and Rainbow, docking in June, uh, Ranger in Denmark and, and Rainbow in Singapore. We guided in our Q4 presentation that we expected these dry dockings to take somewhere between 80 to 90 days. And we ended up at 77 days, so uh, slightly ahead of our guidance on time. CapEx also in line with estimate 20, about 20 million of CapEx associated with these four dry dockings. Uh, uh, and with that, we don't have any more dry dockings for the remainder of the year. As mentioned, we will have two dry dockings next year, uh, probably four in 25 three in 2026 and then we have a holiday in 2027 with zero dry docking schedule for that year. Uh, so uh, this slide is uh, the same slide you saw last quarter. We are just reaffirming the uh, guidance of the year, 370 million of expected revenues. We had 92 and a half or so in, in Q1, slightly lower here in Q2 because of the three dry dockings and also because somewhat softer spot market impacting the ship we have on variable higher time charter. With all ships back in operation, we expect uh, revenues to jump in Q3, somewhere between 90 to uh, 95, and then uh, a bit more variability on Q4 as spot market can, can really take off, especially when we look at uh, the, the, the winter coverage fixtures being done recently. So we expect somewhere between 90 to 100 million of revenues in Q4, and that in total should be around 370 million. So, and you also see that then the revenues are higher than last year, where we recorded about 348 million of revenues. And that's the, despite the fact that we are taking four ships during dry docking this year, and it's driven by the fact that uh, we have repriced the portfolio of ships and expect uh, the, the time charter equivalent earnings this year to be around 80,000, which is higher than last year. So looking at uh, uh, the portfolio of, uh, of backlog, uh, as mentioned, Flex Vigilant extended from end of 2030 to the middle of 2031. Uh, and as you can see, we have uh, substantial backlog uh, with 54 year of minimum contract backlog. We have these two stars. That's our first open, uh, fully open ships, Flex Ranger, which was recently docked. She's open in yeah, Q2 2027 and the Flex Constellation in the middle of 2027. I will come back to this later in the presentation. These are very attractive positions when you are comparing to the term rates and new billing prices for ships uh, for delivery at, uh, at 2027 and onwards. So once we have finalized marketing of these ships, we will move forward to the next open position, which is Flex Aurora and Flex Volunteer, which are fixed to Chenier with, uh, with uh, re-delivery 
early 2028 if they uh, exercised uh, the options for these ships which we do expect them to do. Uh, we do in general think that uh, a lot of these options here will be declared given where uh, the term rates are heading. As you can see we also have the, on the bottom here Flex Artemis, the only ship that's on a variable higher time charter where the rate is, uh, is adjusted according to the conditions of the spot market and uh, the spot market looks very strong for the second half of the year and that's why we have a bit bigger range in uh, expected revenues in Q4 compared to Q3. Uh, looking at this slide, we have used this a couple of times, just uh, looking at where uh, our uh, adjusted earnings per share is, 53 cents for this quarter. Last 12 months it's been about $3 per share, ordinary dividends been $3. And then we have paid out a couple of special dividends here, given you know, the very strong financial position of the company uh, last 12 months. Then uh, we are down from the $3.75 uh, per share of uh, running uh, dividend to $3.25, but still a comfortable level and giving our investors a 10% running yield. The decision factors we also covered in great details in the past. Q2 is, of course, usually the softest quarter in terms of the earnings on the spot ships. Uh, but, you know, as you can see, most of these colors are uh, uh, green, as I explained the reasons for uh, already. So, uh, with that, we will jump into the key financial highlights, Knut. Thank you, Einstein. Let's have a look at the key financial highlights for the quarter. Revenues came in at uh, 86.7 million. Uh, and was uh, impacted by the 57 days of scheduled dry dock of the three vessels in the second quarter. It's also impacted by seasonal lower earnings of the variable hire contract for the Flex Artemis. On the operating expenses, we see a slight increase this uh, quarter to 17.3 million. And this uh, is uh, explained by timing effects uh, of space and maintenance. Um, last quarter we were a bit below budget and uh, this quarter uh, we have paid some of those OPEXs. Uh, so uh, OPEX uh, per day is 14,600 but if you look at the first half of the year the average OPEX per day is uh, at 14,000. Interest rates continue to increase so we have an increase of interest expenses uh, to 27.2 million. However, this is offset by our gain on derivatives of 17.1 million. Included in that is realized gains of uh, 6.2 million versus 5 million in the first quarter. And if we look at the comments uh, in, on this slide, we also then compare with uh, the first half of the year. Uh, so we see we have realized gains of 11.2 million versus a loss of uh, 2.4 million last year. So despite the rapid increase in interest rates, uh, we see the positive effect of uh, our hedging strategy, where the uh, net paid interest is only 10 million higher, despite the rapid increase in the interest rate levels. Last quarter, we completed the balance sheet optimization program and therefore also booked the uh, write-off of debt issuance cost of 10 million. 
So that's no longer uh, applicable this quarter. So for the second quarter, we uh, end up with a net income of 39 million or 70, uh, 73 cents uh, per share. Uh, and adjusting for the unrealized gains on derivatives, we end up with an adjusted net income of 28.2 million. And that uh, results in adjusted earnings per share of 53 cents. Looking at the balance sheet, it's still robust and clean. Uh, there are two main components. It's cash of $450 million and our uh, uh, vessels, uh, the 13 vessels with an average age of 3.6 years with a book value of about $2.3 billion. That gives an equity of uh, 870 million or a solid equity ratio of uh, 31%. If we look at the cash flow statement for the quarter, uh, we have uh, 47.5 million in uh, cash flow from operations and 9 million in uh, change in working capital. We had 16 million in uh, dry dock expenses and then amortized about 26 million dollars. We paid out uh, last quarter um, the 75 cents per share in dividend resulting in 40 million dollars and we end up then with a solid uh, cash position of uh, 450 million dollars. Having a deeper look into our interest rate uh, portfolio, uh, we have made no changes uh, to the derivatives during the quarter. Uh, so we maintain a high uh, hedge ratio of 62 to 65 percent in the coming quarters. It's a mix of uh, uh, sofa-based uh, interest rate swaps and LIBOR-based swaps. As the LIBOR uh, has uh, exceeded to be, um, uh, ceased to be, uh, to be quoted, uh, these LIBOR swaps will transition into uh, sofa swaps during the third quarter. If we look at the components here, we have 820 million of swaps, and then we also have 201 million uh, of fixed rate leases uh, in, uh, in the portfolio. Uh, so on uh, the interest rate swaps, these are valued uh, today at uh, uh, 58.7 million on our balance sheet and uh, provides a uh, solid uh, uh, hedge uh, in, the, in the coming quarters and also uh, cost visibility. Looking at our funding portfolio in Q1, we concluded the balance sheet optimization program. Uh, the funding portfolio is then uh, consisting of about 50% of uh, long-term leases and 50% uh, of debt, which is split in term loans and a $400 million non-amortizing revolving credit facility. Uh, the revolver gives us uh, flexibility on, uh, for cash management when we have a uh, cash position of $450 million, which means that we can repay uh, the RCF at any point in time and uh, that therefore also reduce interest rate cost. The maturity profile uh, is pushed out. First maturity is in 2028. And as you see here, it's spread out um, with the last maturity in 2035, uh, subject that we exercise a two-year extension option uh, on that financing. 
This uh, portfolio is uh, provided by a diverse and a strong and supporting group of banks. It's uh, split out in various regions. So we have banks from the US, from Europe, and then also increased our exposure in, uh, in Asia. Um, so this gives us a rock solid foundation to support uh, the company uh, coming further. And with that, I hand it uh, over to Iceland for uh, an update on the market. Okay, thank you, Knut. So uh, let's have a look at uh, the market, starting with uh, the volumes. So these are the volumes from January to end of July. Uh, in uh, in uh, that period, we see that export growth is about 3%. US was flat in Q1 due to the shutdown of Freeport, but with Freeport up and running again, US volumes are increasing and are the main contributor to volume growth. We have also had shutdowns in Norway, and Norway is back uh, exporting, so, uh, so they are also adding 1.6 million, same as Algeria. On the import side, we continue to see strong growth in Europe, adding 5 million tons in uh, those seven months. We've seen less demand for Japan with uh, nuclear restarts, uh, but uh, China bouncing back. Uh, China, after they uh, loosened up the COVID restrictions, we did see Chinese demand rebounding from March, and in the second quarter, Chinese import growth was about 20%. Uh, so then, looking at the, the gas prices, they have been incredibly volatile the last couple of years, driven mostly by supply events, as well as, of course, COVID. So uh, looking back uh, the last uh, one and a half year or so, we, of course, we saw high uh, gas prices coming out after uh, the invasion of Ukraine and also the strong demand in uh, end of 21. Uh, we had the Freeport shutdown middle of uh, uh, last year, which started to uh, bring prices up. Uh, and then, of course, we had the Nord Stream uh, explosion, which cut off a lot of Russian pipeline gas to Europe and actually sending the price of gas as high as $100 per million BTU. For those who are not too familiar with million BTU, there's 5.8 million BTU in a barrel of uh, oil. So that means that we are talking here about uh, gas prices equivalent to about $600 per barrel of oil. And of course, when prices are going to these kind of levels, uh, demand goes down because uh, of the high prices and switching to coal uh, or propane or oil products. So, so with uh, the, the spike in price, we've seen uh, a lot of demand subversion in Europe especially, which are more reliant on the, the spot market. And we saw, saw uh, gas prices basically falling from a high of $100 per million BTU in August last uh, uh, winter to about $10. And we actually then uh, a level where uh, natural gas actually very competitive towards oil. Uh, you see the dotted line here. It's, uh, it's LNG being sold at oil price with about 20% discount. Uh, and of course, when uh, prices go down, again, we can see more demand. And now lately, uh, the last week or so, we have had the situation where uh, Australian workers are uh, contemplating strikes, which could cut off almost 50% of Australian volumes or 10% of global uh, volumes. So these are really big numbers 
when we look at the Freeport explosion, which cut off that plant, uh, we were talking about three and a half percent of global volumes. So these are uh, almost two and a half times bigger volumes. And I will come back to the situation in Australia. Uh, and with that, of course, we've seen a rally in European gas prices the last week or so. Uh, and we do expect uh, gas prices to uh, head upwards uh, in line with uh, the, the future curves here, as there will be more uh, demand when we're going into the winter. Uh, so look at, uh, let's have a look at the, the situation in Australia. There are several mega projects in Australia, as you can see here on the map. Uh, uh, the uncertainty today is around three different uh, projects, which are uh, last year exported about 41 million tons, close to 50% of all Australian volumes. So there, here we are talking about industrial actions where workers are contemplating a strike, which will affect uh, the Northwest Shelf, a plant operated by Woodside, the Gorgon and Wheatstone projects uh, operated by Chevron. So uh, these projects are mostly uh, selling all of their volumes to Asian buyers, given the short distance to these uh, big markets, with Japan, China, South Korea taking the vast majorities of these cargoes. So if there is a shutdown, uh, it will really uh, create a supply crunch where Asian buyers would have to compete for Atlantic Basin cargoes, mostly U.S., and drive prices up. Uh, where we have seen already the, the fear of this happening are driving up prices. Of course, we don't expect uh, shutdowns at a similar uh, period of time as we have seen when uh, we had the Freeport explosion, which is more a technical issue. But that said, we have seen similar actions happening on uh, the Prelude project in Australia last year, where industrial action closed on uh, exports from uh, June the 10th to August 25 uh, last year. So this is still unresolved, uh, but it's something to keep uh, an eye on. Another uh, <laughs> interesting topic is uh, the supply of Russian gas. So uh, what we are putting in here with the uh, Drake meme is uh, the Europe has really said they don't want to have uh, Russian pipeline gas uh, and also uh, with the, the Nord Stream uh, pipeline exploded it's not feasible to move those volumes so the share of Russian pipeline gas in Europe, European Union's natural gas demand has been on a sharp uh, fall and of course this uh, gas have been uh, replaced primarily by LNG. Europe's been incredibly lucky. First, we have had the COVID shutdowns in, in China, and then we've seen the economic growth of China uh, probably uh, being on the slower side of expectation, which has resulted in Europe being able to source a lot of volumes from the spot market uh, and, and US cargoes, especially the flexible US cargoes going to Europe, but not only the, the, the US cargoes. Actually, when we look at uh, Russian LNG, it's very welcome in, in Europe. And actually, Russian LNG into Europe has just keep, kept on growing. As we can see on this graph on the right-hand side, uh, Russian LNG to EU, 37% uh, of the cargoes went to EU in 2021. It actually grew to 47% last year. And so far this year, 51% of Russian LNG is going to European countries. And why? It's because the European 
uh, buyers can't really afford to, 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 to not take the Russian LNG given uh, the tightness of the LNG market. So, uh, looking at uh, the European gas market, which has been uh, front and center the last couple of years, European gas inventories now are at a very high level. We are very close to the 90% threshold that EU was targeting for November 1 already today. Uh, but uh, again, there are, uh, the winter is not started and of course once you were getting into the winter, European uh, consumers will start to, to utilize the storage level uh, and uh, deplete it as is the seasonal pattern. So IAA uh, had some scenario analysis of uh, how vulnerable uh, Europe is to uh, the supply crunches and, and we have four different scenarios here. Uh, so it, it might be a bit confusing here on the right hand side, but we look at, you know, once the heating season starts, which is 1st of October, what is the level of inventory levels there? And you will see as you get to November, December, January, February, March, this uh, storage level will be declining as we are using from the storage levels. So how much they are declining really depends on a couple of factors. It's the biggest factors is whether the winter will be cold or not. And then it will also be about how much gas will Europe be able to source from the LNG market and that's why we've seen the rally in the gas prices last week or so because if in the event Asian buyers are competing for marginal spot cargoes uh, LNG supply will be more restrictive uh, and, and in such a situation where you have a cold winter and restrictive LNG supply Europe could end up with very low uh, level of uh, gas coming out of the winter uh, uh, this, this season despite the high uh, storage level today. So um, looking at the, the market we are operating in uh, is the freight market. The spot markets have uh, been uh, acting as usual. We have had uh, the spot market cooling down as you're getting out of the winter and once we're getting closer to winter uh, spot rates are, are uh, going up and uh, following the seasonal pattern today we are already above $100,000 per day for modern tonnage and if you look at the future curves on the left hand side which is the dotted blue line we see that the future curves are pricing ships uh, for the winter in excess of $200,000 per day uh, in line also with what we have seen in the past but keep in mind there's been a lot of the traders and the portfolio players, they have been taking ships on longer term charters. So the numbers of fixtures in the spot market has gone down and also the, 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 the spot fixtures being done today are primarily relets uh, where uh, uh, charters are fixing ships to each other, not independent owners. Uh, looking at more term rates, um, where, uh, where we are more active, uh, of course, term rates are driven by, of course, supply and demand, but they're also driven by new building prices and interest rates levels. So we have seen uh, new building prices picking up about 30% the last two years. And of course, when people are doing a tender for new buildings, those people investing this amount of money in a ship, they need a higher break-even level in order to defend such an investment. Also, when 
when interest rates are picking up. So today, new building prices are at around 265 million with a couple of more ships for uh, available for delivery at 27 before we are starting to uh, uh, the, uh, have only yard slots open for 2028. So today the 10-year rates as you can see here in the light blue line is hovering about uh, above $100,000 uh, and then at about $115,000 for the five-year time charter rate. So this is one of the reasons why we are also very optimistic about recontracting our ships. We have two ships open in 27 competing with these ships. Uh, and then two ships also in 28, where we do think that once we are recontracting ships, we will be doing that at higher levels, which we have also done and evidenced in the past. Uh, so looking at the order book, we had a lot of uh, contracting of new bills last year. With these higher prices, we have seen uh, fewer uh, contracting these days. Uh, but the order book is big and it's also reflecting of the fact that uh, we uh, have a lot of new volumes coming to the market and it's reflecting the fact that still we have a lot of steam propulsion on water with 35% uh, of the fleet consisting of steamships and we do see more and more of these ships leaving uh, the shipping market and have to be replaced by more modern fuel efficient uh, tonnage driven by economics, driven by regulation and also to, from next year, actually carbon taxation in the Euro European Union. If we look at the order book today, uh, most of the ships are committed to long-term uh, charters. Only about 10% of, of the ships in the order book are uncommitted so, so far. Looking at uh, the, 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 <laughs> the, what you could call the cargo market, the LNG supply, we've seen continued uh, FID or uh, projects taking the final in investment decision, uh, latest uh, one being next decade's Rio Grande, which, uh, uh, which announced they're uh, going ahead with the Rio Grande project. And we've also seen uh, two other projects in US this year, uh, Venture Global's Pacaminos Phase 2 and uh, Port Arthur also earlier this year. So we have about 100 million tons of uh, project in North America under construction or where they have taken the final in investment decision and then 73 million rest of the world. And there are still a lot of projects uh, chasing uh, uh, FID. Uh, the project we deem probable or highly probable to do so is about 85 million tons in North America, 68 million tons of the rest of the world. So we do see a very strong growth in, uh, in the market. Uh, the nameplate capacity today is 465 million tons. We do expect uh, LNG supply this year to be about 420 million tons. We are not able to to, to have 100% utilization on these projects. And then this, uh, if you add all the projects under construction, you, go, you are getting to 634, but there are still projects trying to get uh, FID. And uh, if you put in all the highly probable, you are ending up at a very big number, 788. So that is one of the driver for all this contracting of new LNG ships. <laughs> so <laughs> with that, uh, I think we conclude today's presentation. I'm just going to run through the highlights quickly. Revenues for the quarter in line with our guidance. We have strong earnings, 39 million or 28.2 if you adjust out the uh, unrealized gains on our derivatives, giving a, 
earnings per share of 73 cents or 53 cents respectively. We have completed our dry docking program of the four ships on time and budget. We just recently had an extension of our Chenier uh, time charter for Flex Vigilant, bringing that ship into 2031. Um, revenues for the second half of the year will pick up as we have completed the dockings and as we do see a stronger spot market. And we are confirming the guidance we already provided in February. 370 million of revenues for the year, adjusted EBITDA of 290 to 295 million, driven by uh, higher earnings in Q3 and Q4. So with that, we are uh, happy to, to, to uh, declare another dividend of 75 cents, bringing the dividend the last 12 months to 3.25, giving, as I mentioned, 10% yield. And we can do that easily, given our high backlog and strong financial position. So uh, with that, I thank you for joining the, the presentation. We will then uh, gather in some questions and, uh, and do a Q&A session. Th thank you. Okay, um, let's start the Q&A session, uh, Knut. And I think we have received quite a lot of questions today as well. Uh, even though I think most of the analyst reports coming out this morning was this is boring stuff, no news, everything as expected. But, uh, you know, we rather be boring and profitable than uh, funny and <laughs> losing a lot of money. So uh, let's see. OK, we have a good group of questions. So thank you for sending them in. Um, let's start with the contracts. And uh, Wolf Byrne, he questioned if it's a surprise that Chenier declared the option on the Vigilant that early. And uh, can we expect any other uh, options to be declared by uh, Chenier any soon? Yeah, Wolf is a, he's a loyal shareholder. Uh, uh, no, it's not a surprise at all, actually. If you, uh, if you read the, the press release I, we sent out last year when we did this deal with Chenier for three ships, which we extended then, um, we wrote the fact that uh, the Vigilant had an early option due Q3 this year. It's no Q3, even though we're reporting Q2, so it comes at no surprise. And they also have an early option to extend the Endeavour uh, in uh, spring uh, next year, uh, where the period is slightly bigger or, or longer, 500 days. So uh, I, I would expect that to happen as well. So, uh, so no surprise uh, as, yeah. as planned. And then uh, follow up on the contracts from Fredrik Wessel in uh, Pareto Securities. Um, in the fixed rate contracts, are there any inflation adjustments? Uh, no, uh, we, we have them on a fixed rate level. Of course, the, the <laughs> there are some fat in those contracts. That's why we're making a mo uh, some money. However, we have uh, hedged the risk in terms of inflation. Usually there is a pretty strong correlation between uh, interest rates uh, and inflation. So if inflation goes up, interest rates tend to go up, as we have seen <laughs> very much so uh, the last uh, couple of years. Uh, so we, as, as, as Knut has shown, we, we hedged a lot of our interest rates, so we have covered the inflation risk in, in that sense. And, and actually, our cost of interest rate, interest rate per day, is higher than OPEX per day. So <laughs> it's actually a more important uh, uh, yeah. risk to cover. Yeah. Uh, then we have uh, some questions around the contract portfolio. We today announced a 54 year of firm backlog and 80 years including the options. 
and then we talk about uh, uh, open uh, uh, vessels in 2027 and 28. So the question is, what's the likelihood of the options to be declared? Yeah, I, I would say right now, given where term rates are for ships, uh, ships have become a lot more expensive. I showed now that uh, ships have been cost, uh, new building prices have gone up 30% in two years. Mm -hmm. But keep in mind, we ordered ships back in 1718, so they've gone up from 180 to, to uh, 65. So, uh, and rates uh, for new builds, 100,000 or uh, rates are uh, lower, although most of our, you know, the options we have are typically at a higher rate than uh, we have on, on the firm period. So I think the likelihood of options being extended is very high. Whether all the options will be exercised, it's hard to say, but I think most of the options uh, will probably be called by uh, the charters and, and all kind of uh, backlog is then most, very, most probably longer than the 54 years we have firm. Okay. Uh, then moving on to, to dry dock, we have a question from Håkon Lunde, who works in the uh, offshore drilling industry. And they have a concept in the drilling industry about continuous class, mm. where they do maintenance and class renewal while in operation in order to reduce time uh, at yard and off hire. Is that the concept that uh, could work in the L&D uh, for, and for Flex in, when doing uh, dry docks? I think it's a bit different if you are on a semi-submersible uh, drilling rig and you can spend 50, 100 million dollars doing the f f special survey on the ship. We, of course, we do have a, a continu <laughs> continuous maintenance all the time. We do have class inspections uh, regularly. Uh, and, of course, prior to us going into our dock, you know, we want to, want to minimize the stay at dock. So what we are doing is to prepare everything in advance. So once we are doing the discharge, we use the ballast leg to prepare all the, the maintenance, starting to, uh, to, to, to uh, take down equipment so they are ready to being uh, maintained. And, and, and you know, I think we evidenced that now we, we guided 80 to 90 days dock stay for those four ships we had planned uh, this year. We, we managed to spend only 77 days on those four dockings, average 19 days. And I think if you uh, compare that with most all other LNG owners, we are comparing very favorable on time and also on cost. Mm. Because staying in a dock is costly. <laughs> <laughs> and he follows up with another question on the new buildings. It's been mentioned that they have some new gadgets, slightly different uh, uh, from, from our vessels. Uh, so while we are in dry dock, do you uh, plan to do any upgrades of, uh, of the vessels? Uh, it's not major upgrades. Of course, we always do you know, software upgrades. There are maybe some new energy saving devices or we are putting in some more sensors, but not major upgrades. You know, we have the most efficient engines. Mm -hmm. It's a two stroke. People ordering ships today is still the two stroke. Actually, very few people are ordering the mega ships, which we have nine out of the 13 in our fleet is mega ships because they are quite expensive. Usually they have one or two high-pressure compressors uh, running at 300 bar. People today are maybe often uh, opting for cheaper engines uh, with lower pressure, uh, which result in not as good combustion and more methane slip. Uh, there are some other gadgets. You have the air lubrication system, but you know so, so far there are some mixed, uh, mixed results on, on these systems. I think if, if you are to order new ships today, of course, shaft generator is, is uh, quite popular. 
It's basically if you have a bicycle and you have a dynamo on the bicycle in order to make lights. So rather than run, running the auxiliary engines, you can use the dynamo. But of course, if you use the dynamo, you also create friction. So it's not like you get free electricity. Mm. You have to burn more on the engine, but you can you can use less of the auxiliary engine. So so uh, that's a roundabout way of saying that we plan no bigger uh, upgrades because the, 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 the ships are state of the art. Uh, and we order them because we could get state-of-the-art ships at the right time at the right price compared to what it is today. Then we have uh, questions on, the <coughs> on uh, for finance and uh, basically a recurring question on, on our cash piles. Uh, why we are not uh, repaying uh, debt in order to reduce, uh, uh, reduce interest rate costs. Um, it's a recurring uh, question and it's something that we uh, uh, we get and it's related to the RCF or the revolving credit facility we have. Basically we use uh, the RCF uh, for cash management. Um, in between quarters we repay with available cash to bring down the interest cost which is actually the question here. And that makes it we have cash available and funds available uh, when we need it. And it uh, follows up on the classical principles of raising uh, capital when you can and have it available. So for this uh, RCF when we uh, have, don't utilize it we pay 70 basis points in a commitment fee uh, and that's a pretty cheap uh, way of uh, having capital available. Yeah. Um, following up on the market a couple of questions there. We have uh, Charles from Marhelm. Short question, is the winter coming? Short answer, yes. Yeah. <laughs> we are in August. Once we're getting into October, the winter will be coming. Uh, so uh, what I think he will uh, referring to maybe is the graph when I shown the, the, the European st storage levels of gas. Of course, they are very high today, uh, reflecting the fact the muted demand over the summer, muted demand over last winter when we had a third La Nina and a pretty warm or mild winter in Europe. Uh, what will happen this year? Let's see. This year is different from the last three years. The last three years we have had a La Nina. This year we have a El Nino. Uh, El Nino typically means colder, uh, colder winters in north of Europe, wetter winters in south of Europe, usually warmer winters in Asia. So, uh, you know, even though inventory levels look, uh, look high today, you have to also take into account that all the Russian gas that used to be there to support gas consumption in Europe is more or less gone. So, so this storage is becoming in much more important and the drawdown of, uh, uh, of, of the storage levels will probably be much quicker, especially in a cold winter, because you don't have the same kind of base load of, of gas into the market. So yeah, the winter will be coming. It will be interesting to see. We, we need to have as much LNG to the market as possible in order to not create this kind of wild price swings we have seen in the past. Yeah, so that uh, brings us to another question from Sheriff uh, Al-Maghrabi. Um, we have in the presentation talk and it's also in the news now about the potential strike in, uh, in Australia. Um, so what's the impact on, uh, on the ton mile? And there is a risk of a seaborne volumes will drop. And where will then the importers uh, pick up the slack? Yeah, of course. This is so much volume, uh, it's unprecedented. The 10% suddenly of all volumes going away. Uh, we saw Freeport going away, it's 3.5%. So, uh, 
<laughs> if that is volumes are curtailed, prices will skyrocket. It will not be enough LNG in the market for sure. Uh, and hopefully, uh, you can only hope it, it, it will not be long lasting. Uh, we have seen similar situation here in Norway where oil and gas workers have been contemplating striking and actually the government have intervened and said These, the, the consequences are too big. We are the biggest gas exporter to Europe. Uh, we have a public arbitrator and just setting the term by fiat. Uh, I think <laughs> Australia should, should certainly consider something similar. If it happens, uh, of course, you will free up a lot of ships in Australia, mm -hmm. uh, which are usually doing uh, that kind of transportation from Australia to Japan, Korea, China, Taiwan. So JKTC, all those ships will be available. 40 ships, if you multiply maybe 1.3, 1.4, it, it's a sizable number of ships. Maybe 60 ships will be available in the market. Probably not will be available immediately because people will be holding them back because they don't know how long the strike will be. They, they cannot fix the ship on a three months or two months charter and suddenly the strike is over and they are left out of the ships. So you will create inefficiencies and you will have ships going to longer routes to uh, to US, uh, to Asia, uh, 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 and uh, <laughs> I think actually the shipping market will also be tight because the uncertainty about when will volumes come back. Of mm. course, when Freeport shut down, they had like a timeline when the volumes would be starting up and people could relet their ships. When you have a strike, there's more uncertainty. Uncertainty, people will holding their ships. So uh, I think uh, LNG's product market will be immensely tight and then the shipping market will also benefit but, um, it, but it will not be a good situation and actually I hope it not happen because uh, uh, we need LNG to stay at a cheaper level if we're going to attract new consumers hmm. and on top of that we have the problems with the Panama Canal yeah. so how is that uh, affecting uh, flex and uh, the LNG industry in general we have had the worst drought in Panama since the canal opened in 1914. Uh, water levels are very low. Remember, this is a big uh, you know, canal and when you're putting ships through it, you, need, you, you are losing water from the canal into the sea. So you have to refill these uh, water balances from reservoirs and these reservoirs are at a low level. And um, uh, the typically one transit you're losing 50 million gallons of water, which is 190 million liters. So Panama have had to reduce the number of transit to keep the water level. So this has created uh, a super tight um, uh, market in the Panama Canal waiting times today. If you don't have a slot, it's almost 20 days. And that's August. You know, last November we saw them going up to 26 days, but that's winter season. The winter season is always more busy. You have the high season for container ships going for the shopping season. You have more export of LNG and LPG uh, and typically more routes to Asia. So, so, uh, so it, <laughs> Panama clogging is a problem that's not going away. Even though the dwarf is going away, Panama is jammed. And the reason is Panama Canal was built for container traffic increased container traffic, the neo-Panama container ships. And this was decided before the shale revolution in America, where suddenly US became the biggest LNG exporter and the biggest LPG exporter. And the canal has not been scaled to suddenly also take all that uh, traffic. So, uh, so that will be an inefficiency. We see it more on the LPG side in advanced gas, where we have routing ships 
away from Panama because uh, it, it's uh, too much waiting time and it's too difficult to fix a ship when you don't know the schedule. So then there is a bit of a crystal ball uh, question. Um, what's your view on the LNG uh, uh, commodity prices in the short and the long view? Right now, of course, it's, uh, I believe uh, you know forward rates are not always a good predictor of, of, of prices, but I think it's pretty accurate in the near term. <laughs> Product prices will stay tight for uh, uh, the medium term or the short term. Uh, there will be a lot of demand for the winter market, so, so prices will go up. There's not coming a lot of new LNG to the market uh, near term, which means the market will stay tight. Europe will not get access to Russian pipeline gas. So, so there will be tight market. Uh, from 25 onwards, there are coming a lot more liquefaction plants, and hopefully that can bring down prices, uh, because otherwise we are pricing out uh, consumers. And actually, you know, we would like to get prices down to $10 and less, because then we can finally do something with coal, because LNG should be utilized not only to replace Russian pipeline gas, but also coal. And if you are to do so that, which is immensely important in terms of pollution, greenhouse gas emissions, then you need to get a price which is affordable for uh, uh, developing countries and not only European consumers. Mm. So that rounds up the questions, but we'll, uh, we'll include one more. Uh, it's Lucy Hine from, from Tradewinds. Uh, What's your guidance for, uh, for your time to complete the Oslo Marathon? <laughs> guidance. I'm uh, giving guidance on that as well now. <laughs> uh, too bad I've been too so, so accurate on the, on the guidance uh, for the financials. Um, I, I, you know, number one, we are attending Oslo Marathon, the, flex, the whole flex team, in actually exactly one month. But we are not running the full marathon. Uh, we are running the half marathon. We don't want to have too much uh, tear and wear on, uh, on these guys. Um, yeah, let's see. My, my, my goal is I challenge my, my guys to beat me. Hopefully I can beat one or two of them. Last time I, I you know, since I ran my last half marathon, I've been doing 24 of these quarterly presentations. So that hasn't helped my weight. Um, that weight has gone up. <laughs> so probably 15 minutes longer time than last time. So below 150 then. Good. Yeah. That rounds up the questions. Thanks a lot for yeah. all of the questions. And, and Lucy, if you are there, if you are going to GasTech uh, early September for the big gas conference, I, I, I know you like to run marathons. So uh, then, of course, I will bring you one of these just flexi t-shirts so you can run that, use that next time you run marathon. Not the half marathon like the lazy guys like Knut and me, but the full marathon. Okay. And then we need to round off with the winner of the <laughs> of the flex kit uh, for the questions. Yeah, uh, I guess we we Håkon Lunde we ended up at. I wonder if this is Håkon Lunde, which I knew from my childhood. Uh, let's see. Okay, well, we will reach out to him and, and give him the T-shirt so he also can run uh, <laughs> half marathon or, or marathon, full marathon. Of course, the flex glasses and the boiler suit, but if he works for Oddfjell Drilling, I'm pretty sure he already have a boiler suit. Okay. Congratulations and thanks. thank you for all of the questions. Okay, thank you guys. And we'll see you in November. Thank you.